As Ron mentioned, if you did not pick up a study guide, I encourage you to do so this morning and want to remind you that the questions are different on the inside. And even if you're not in one of our small groups on a regular basis, I encourage you to still take the study guides and discussion guides, and you can use that as a means of stimulating your own uh, recollection of the message and in your devotional time, perhaps uh, ponder those questions uh, before the Lord. I, I have to confess to you this morning that I have a very full heart and a very heavy heart in terms of all the things that I want to, to give you the old preachers talked about delivering a message, and uh, I don't think they were meaning to insult you ladies who are looking forward to another kind of delivery as soon as possible. But they talked about the, the birthing and the pain and, and the travail that is involved in capturing what God has for a people and letting it build in your heart and then come Fourth on Sunday as a message is born. And I, I have a lot of those spiritual feelings this morning anyway about the things that I want to share with you on the subject of prayer. And my, my deepest concern is I'm praying that we're getting it. I'm praying that we're comprehending and understanding what God, the Spirit of God, wants to say to us about the work of intercessory prayer. And this is the third message from one outline. And uh, we're on Roman numeral three this morning. Intercessory prayer is the spiritual warfare that reclaims and restores what was lost. Now, the text actually says the lost, but intercessory prayer is the spiritual warfare that reclaims and restores what was lost. And really, the first two Roman numerals have to do with our worldview, with our understanding of why the world is the way it is, why we are the way we are, what the battle is all about, and why prayer is so essential. And, and in a nutshell, what it boils down to is this, that God made human beings, put them on this planet, gave them the stewardship of this planet. He is a covenant-keeping God who honors His Word, and in doing so, we are the ones, human beings are the ones that have direct and immediate influence over the planet, so to speak. And God is looking for human beings, men and women, who will yield themselves to Him for the purpose of reconnecting with this lost world. By, first of all, inviting His Spirit into their own life because they have turned from sin and turned to God and been born again by a living hope, sealed with the Spirit of God and filled with His Spirit for the purpose of being the ambassador of Jesus Christ to this world. And secondly, because now joined with God and comprehending His purposes and His goals, join with Him in asking, Lord, Your will be done on earth just the way it's done in heaven. 
Intercessory prayer is the work that invites God to do here and now in our midst the things that He wants to do and wants to accomplish. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning for a moment to first or Second Corinthians chapter five, Second Corinthians chapter five. And I want to read you a passage by way of launching into this third section that kind of puts this in perspective. First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. Paul is trying here a little bit to express the reason for his fanaticism. He, Paul is kind of an over-the-edge kind of guy, you know. He's just all out, sold out to Jesus. Sometimes he looks like a crazy man because he, he's so abandoned to the Lord's purposes. And he says, I, I know I must appear out of my mind sometimes, but I want you to know if I do, it's because I'm so caught up with God. And he says, if I, if I, if I come down to earth periodically and act normal, that's because I want you to connect the same way I'm connected. But he says, I, I'm just, I, I want to say jazzed on Jesus, but that's not how I preach, so I, I don't know. <laughs> Carrie, was that something you would say? <laughs> Probably not you either, huh? Okay. I love the way Carrie preaches. It just comes out. For the love of Christ controls us. Some versions say constrains us. The love of Christ, in other words, has gotten a hold of me and won't let me go. It's driving me. It's pushing me. It's controlling me. It's compelling me. I am under the influence of the love of God. And then he explains why. He says, the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. He says, this is amazing. Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for me. I was doing my own thing, living my own life, going my own way, and He got a hold of me. And He said, because He died for me, I died to Him. I died with Him. I died in Him. I don't live for myself anymore. Jesus has a hold of me. I'm living for Him. My whole life is, is for Him. I'm caught up in Him. This is what drives me. And so he says, He died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. And that's, that's what I want you to get this morning. I recognize no man according to the flesh. When you look at other people, what do you see? When you look at other people, what do you see? More or less, don't we? <laughs> Depending on how they're dressed, huh? No, we see flesh. Mostly. At least that's the human tendency. And I'm not talking about skin. I'm talking about in the natural mind. Oh, that guy down at the hardware store, he's a nice guy. He's, 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 he'll really help you out. Oh, that guy over the post office is a real jerk. He treats everybody like that. I mean, sorry, Joe. <laughs> I didn't mean to pick on you particularly. <laughs> but, but um, you know, we have a tendency 
to categorize people in fleshly terms. She's so sweet. He is such a type A. You know, man, he's just going all the time. He's just driven. Can't we, we look at people and we categorize them naturally in our flesh. And Paul says, I don't see people like that anymore. He says, I don't see them in those terms. I don't look at them according to the flesh. Because he says, here's the deal. Even though Christ we have known according to the flesh, we don't know Him this way any longer because He is in heaven. We've come to know Him in the spiritual realm. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. A new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself not counting their trespasses against Him, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He says, I see people differently now. They fit into one of two camps. They know Jesus. They're going to spend eternity with God and with me in glory. They don't know Jesus. They're going to die, and they're headed for a Christless hell. That's the only way I see people. I see them in spiritual terms. They're either on the path to, to the kingdom of God or they are going to die without Christ and spend eternity in hell. And God has given me the work, the ministry of reconciliation. It is my task to go to the group that is lost and bring them the message of Jesus Christ. Because they only fit into one of two categories. There are only on this planet saved people and lost people. We're not talking about nice, sweet, ornery, irritable, murderous, kind, philanthropic, self-centered. By the way, you can be a self-centered philanthropist. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people either know Jesus Christ personally and they have an eternity before them with God, or they don't know Him, and they're going to spend eternity in hell, and that's the only way I see people now. He, he boils it down to that, and he says, I don't see them in fleshly terms. Verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And working together with Him, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Carrie, for the praise selection this morning and, and that last song, You Are My World. You are my God. I lay my life down for you. You are my world. And I was wondering as we were singing that, do we know what we're singing? You are my world. 
What does that mean? Does, do we have a world view where God is in the center and human beings fall into one of two camps and we are his ambassadors for the purpose of bringing the word of reconciliation to bring the message of Christ to the lost. Is that our perspective? And my whole point in preaching the first two sections of this message in the last several weeks is to help us understand why prayer is so vitally important. Because in this world that the Scripture describes as lying in the evil one, a world that is out of kilter, a world that is off track, a world that is under the influence and dominion and control of the enemy of our souls, control with a small c, because God is still sovereign. He hasn't lost control of anything. But this world, right now, as we see it, is a world that our parents, Adam and Eve, sold out in rebellion to the enemy. And what was a beautiful paradise, with no death and no sickness and no grief and no sadness and no shame and no sin. There was a perfect paradise where that man and that woman walked with God every day, experienced His life in their being, were filled by His Spirit, exerting influence over a perfect world in every way. God said, this is really good when he was all done. This is really good. Became a world because of their sin, because it was the gateway that opened the influence of Satan upon the planet became a world filled with human beings now in rebellion, separated from the life of God, filled with a life of darkness, corrupted by all the wicked power of evil that now runs rampant in the planet. And people say, Why didn't God just wipe the whole thing out and start over? And part of the answer to that question is God is love. Why does it have to be the way it is? Why does it have to be under judgment and and this ugly dominion of darkness? And part of the answer to that question is God is a holy God. And sin has its consequences, and he must judge sin. And the world is in judgment right now. In fact, the Scripture describes the world as under the wrath of God and waiting for his judgment. 
But why does he tarry? Because he is also long-suffering and merciful and gracious and not willing that any should perish. And so the very first thing he did on the day that Adam and Eve rebelled reveals his heart toward us from that moment forward. He came looking for them. And he didn't come looking for them because he didn't know where they were. When he showed up at the appointed time for their stroll, and Adam and Eve were not waiting, he asked the penetrating question, Where are you? And he really wanted Adam to know where he was. God knew where Adam was. Adam didn't know where he was. And human beings ever since are lost and separated from God. And ever since, down through the ages, God has come with the question, where are you? I love you. I want you to come back. I love you. Where are you? And he has looked for those who would hear the call And say, Lord, I'm here. I've sinned. I've run from you. Forgive me. Bring me back. Abraham, will you leave Ur of the Chaldees and go to a land that I will show you? Yes, Lord. I want to follow you. Joseph, are you willing to go down to Egypt through many troubles to save your people? Moses, are you willing? David, will you be my king on the throne? And on and on through history, God has looked for his man or woman. Esther, who knows, but at this time, God has chosen you to spare the people. Mary, will you be the mother of my son? I am going to come to you. And so, through the years, God has looked for people. And Paul says, the ministry of reconciliation is the privilege that those of us who have heard his voice and have come to him have to bring that same message back out to that lost world, to bring them the message of Jesus Christ. Do you have a worldview that encompasses this? Do you understand why people act the way they act? Do you know why they're ornery when they're ornery? Do you know why people climb the ladder of success tromping other people in the dirt? Do you know why people are mean to other people? Do do you understand why murder occurs? Do, Do you have a worldview that encompasses where we are? And brings it into perspective. Do you know why people get cancer? Do you know why they develop multiple sclerosis? Do you understand why sickness and suffering and death is in this planet? It's because sin is running rampant. And God has called us in the midst of it. 
to be the conduits of His grace, to be the ambassadors of His kingdom, to be the prayer warriors. And friends, we have a power and we have a weapon. The power is the power of prayer. And the weapon is the weapon of love. When Jesus went to the cross of Calvary and was nailed there, he said to his disciples, no one has greater love than this for his friends. And then he lays down his life. No one loves more than this. And this is how all men will know that you're my disciples, that you love each other the way I've loved you. And the way they will know that I have come into this world through through Jesus Christ, the way God makes Himself known is that you will go in My name and bear My likeness and act like Me. And they will see the Father in you and be drawn to Me. And you bring the ministry of reconciliation. And prayer is the power that works in their hearts as I bring you into contact with them. Do you have a worldview that puts that together for you? As I bring out in point three, the primary purpose of intercessory prayer is to advance the kingdom of God by bringing people to Jesus Christ. The motive of God is revealed in John 3.16 when Jesus says to Nicodemus, God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. God's motivation is revealed there. I love the world. I am sending My Son. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, I have come to seek and save that which was lost. The motivation of the Father and the goal of Jesus Christ is revealed in Scripture. We clearly understand what He's all about. I want to bring back what's lost. I want to redeem the lost. I've come to seek and save the lost. That's what I'm all about. That's my goal. The primary purpose of intercessory prayer, friends, is to advance the kingdom by bringing people into a relationship with Jesus Christ whereby they turn from this wicked world and their evil ways and turn to the living God and invite Him to transform their life, to fill Him again with their spirit, that they might follow Him in life and light and hope. And then having been transformed by His power to carry that message forward. Do we understand that the goal of intercessory prayer is to further the kingdom of God? Secondly, it involves capturing ground that Satan holds tenaciously in his grip of death. What do I mean by that? What did Jesus say in in Luke when he stood up in his hometown and read the Scriptures? Remember, he read from the scroll of Isaiah. And as he began reading the passage um, in, in Luke's Gospel, as he began reading that passage, he explained to them that he was there that day as a fulfillment. That he could bring liberty to the captives, to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, 
to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What's he going to do? He's going to set captives free. He's going to heal the sick. He's going to restore the lame. He's going to give sight to the blind. He's going to free those who are in bondage. He is going to deliver them. What are all of those things that he's going to do? They all represent the ways that sin has destroyed and damaged our lives. Jesus Christ is going to go and deal with it head to head, toe to toe, and reclaim for the glory of God that which has been devoured by the devourer. That which has been eaten up and corrupted and damaged. Jesus is going to go and begin to demonstrate the kingdom of life and glory and light and power. And so He's going to restore sight and He's going to heal the lame. But He's going to deliver those who are in bondage and the people that live in darkness. He's going to bring light and He's going to restore their souls and cause them to be born again through His sacrifice on the cross. This is His goal. To undo the damage that was done in the fall of man. But when we involve ourselves in intercessory prayer, we too are sent as ambassadors to go out and begin to recapture what the enemy has held in his grip. So that neighbor of yours that is so hard to get along with and so irritable and ornery and cantankerous and and, and is always fussing at you, Do you see him in the flesh? I live next to a jerk. Or do you see him in the spirit? I live next to a man who doesn't know Jesus. And I need him to know Jesus. Because it does not matter how he treats me. And it does not matter what he does to my property. And it does not matter how miserable he makes my life. But it does matter whether he spends eternity in heaven or hell. And I'm going to pray for him. We have a power, a secret influencer. You may not can get a word in edgewise. Maybe you even tried to talk to him sometime about church or religion or Jesus or however you felt you could phrase it and He let you know in no uncertain terms. I don't want to hear about that Bible stuff. Don't bother me with that church stuff. I'm not interested in religion. Now what? He won't let you talk to Him. He treats you like dirt. He's mean to you. He abuses you. What do you do? You have a weapon. You have a a power that He doesn't know anything about. You can pray for Him. You can ask the Spirit of God to be at work in his heart. You can ask the Spirit of God to touch his spirit. You can ask the Spirit of God to open his eyes to the gospel. You can ask the Spirit of God to build bridges. A neighbor that I seldom ever talked to in my neighborhood was, I was out yesterday afternoon walking the dog and he was coming around in his truck and He waved at me and stopped the truck in the middle of the road. And we started talking. I hardly ever talked to this guy. We started talking and I, and I thought, this is real interesting. The whole time I'm standing there talking with him, I'm having a conversation vertically. You know, this is, this is real interesting, you know. 
And so we're talking and, and, and back and forth and all of a sudden. And then, I, you know, I'm asking God to, to, to provide an opening. And here's a guy who's an auto mechanic. Rough as a cob, just an ordinary, you know, work by the sweat of their brow human being, sitting there in a pickup truck in the middle of the road talking to me about working on cars. And he says, you know, sometimes I get frustrated and I say, a little help here. I kind of look, a little help here, please. And he says, sometimes I'll just sit down and, and start sipping on a water and kind of contemplating the, the, the fact that I can't figure out how to fix this engine. And, and he says, all of a sudden it comes to me and he says, you know, I think God just puts that in my mind. And I'm thinking, whoa, this is amazing. You know, here's this guy talking to me, who, who is a mechanic, talking to me about asking for divine help and getting it. And, and there's a spiritual connection. You have no idea when you start praying for people what doors God is going to open. You have no idea how He's going to set the stage. He begins to work in hearts. Now, the rest of the story is not that I prayed with Him and He received Christ in the middle of the road, but groundwork is laid. And opportunities are there. Do you have God's perspective on what He's doing? I told Angela I was going to pick on her a little bit because I used her as a sermon illustration at 8 o'clock and I knew she'd be here at 10 and I'd have to tell the story in front of her. But anyway, um, Ron had shared with us at 8 o'clock the, the, the testimony that, um, as, as most of you know, Pat is now in Alden Terrace and Angela's going to see him every day. And, um, what is it, last week someone prayed to receive Christ because she's sharing her faith in Christ. Now, I want to ask you something. Those of you that have visited in nursing homes and you have seen the sadness and you have seen the end-of-life issues that people are going through, when you walk into that place, what do you see? What, what do you perceive is happening? Is this a little part of the world that God has designed in His wisdom? That people should lose their minds and control of their functions and be strapped in a wheelchair as they shrivel up in their bodies. Is this the world that God made? No, it is not. It is not. That is the consequence of sin in this planet. I wasn't very careful of what I said. All of us are sinners. But we reap in general a harvest of the fruit of sin in the world that may not be particularly linked to my personal sin. You understand? I may not get cancer because I did something and God's punishing me. 
We've got to get rid of that kind of thinking. That's nuts. But if I get cancer, it's because of sin in this world. It is a disease process that has come upon us because we are under the dominion of darkness. So is that what God planned? That is not what God planned. In fact, death is not what God planned. The grave is not what God planned. God had something else in mind for the human race. That is the consequence of rebellion upon the planet. It is one manifestation of it. So, we have two alternatives. We can either look at that and say... What is God doing to me? What have I ever done to be so punished by me being here or my spouse being here? And, and what have I ever done that I should deserve this? Or, we can say, I have an opportunity to be the ambassador of Jesus Christ in this place where Satan is having his final heyday, and I can bring the light of the glory of Jesus into this place. I can bring hope. I can bring the love of God. I can go there in triumph and victory and share Jesus Christ, reconciling the world to Him. And whether it's Riverwood School where children are coming to Jesus Christ because prayer has opened a door of Good News Club intervention, or whether it is Angela going every day to see Pat where he can get the physical care he needs, but carrying the light of Jesus Christ to people who have one foot already on the threshold of eternity and show them the love of God that they can come to Jesus Christ. We can win the battle in that place because we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Do we have eyes to see what is happening? Do we understand how the enemy ravages the planet? Can we see beyond what is happening in the natural realm and perceive with eyes of the Spirit that God is in Jesus Christ reconciling the world to Himself and I am the ambassador that carries him in that place. I was talking about one of our brothers in the, in the other service um, who is in an ensemble that meets every other week to play the instruments. They love to play. And he was telling me about uh, friends of his that do not know Jesus Christ. And that he goes and plays in this ensemble with them every other week. Is this just a bunch of people that love to play instruments getting together? It is that. And I'm not telling you for a moment that there's not intrinsic worth in the music. There is intrinsic worth in the music. God gave us music. I, I've been amazed. I... I've had a, a sampling of XM radio in my car for a period of time, and I've been listening to different stations. Yesterday, I listened to a Spanish music station 
driving over to Botanic Gardens, and on the way back, I listened in French to music. And I thought, the world over loves music. People love music. Where, where did they get that love for music? God puts it in the hearts of people. It's just part of, the, the, it's part of our DNA. It's part of our design. We're, we're musical. There's intrinsic value in that. But here's the secret. Russ is a secret agent. He is planted in the enemy camp. He has a talent. He's learned to mimic their ways. He plays the horn. And he's there gathering intelligence. And he comes back to headquarters. And he reports. And he begins to pray. Touch this heart. Give me opportunity. Speak to this person. Let me, not by the, the, the deception of the secret agent, but let me by the integrity and honesty of my walk with Jesus and the shared joy we have in music as a connection build a bridge that I might be the ambassador of Jesus Christ to influence them for him. Do you see the higher purpose? Do you see the greater cause? Do you understand what we're about? We're given a mission. Whatever you do in life, wherever you go, do you have a world view that says people are either saved or lost and I am here as the ambassador of Christ? This person beside me in line at the supermarket is either my colleague in ministry or the focus of my reconciliation ministry to bring them to Christ. I am here as God's ambassador. And prayer is when I can go out and snatch from the enemy that which he is holding and bring them back to Christ. It, it allows for fellowship and unity with the King of Kings. Listen, you are never tighter with God than when you and He are on the same mission together. When you are sharing the same vision, the same passion that Jesus Christ has to seek and save the lost, and you're together in that work, you're never closer to God than when you're in the business of carrying out His plans and purposes. It brings us into intimacy with Christ. And it's in the room of prayer as we seek the Lord on behalf of those He brings in front of our face. It's in that realm that we have an opportunity to share intimacy with the King of Kings. It provides for us and our co-workers in terms of meeting the needs of ministry. You know, some of the people, as I've been preaching on prayer, and trying to raise our sights a little bit, that most of our prayer is focused on my needs, my wants, my problems, or, or some member of my family that has a problem. And I don't mean to minimize that. They can be greater, they can be small. But some people begin to think, well, Paul's trying to tell me that I've got to be, have these greater missional concerns and that what about paying my bills and feeding my family? And Friends, that's all part of the, the whole picture. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, I mean in his model prayer, Jesus said to his disciples, Pray then like this. And one of the lines he gave them was, give us this day our daily bread. Why does he do that? 
Because an army at war that is attempting to advance, you know what they need? You know what is absolutely crucial to the advancement of that army? What they cannot do without? They have to have intact supply lines. If those soldiers can't eat and can't drink and can't get some rest and get fresh ammunition and occasionally get relief, they're going to get beat. They have got to have a supply line. And you know what the enemy's number one goal is? Is to take out the supply line. What happens to a soldier who has not been eating, not had an opportunity to sleep, not had reinforcements, not had ammunition replenishment? What happens to that person? They get demoralized, they get sick, they get fatigued, they get exhausted. They can no longer fight the battle because they are consumed with their personal needs that are overwhelming them. It is appropriate for us in intercessory prayer to pray the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Because when we really get the message of Jesus Christ and really understand the focus of of being ambassadors for Christ to this world, the enemy does not take us on. Believe me, he takes us on. We get on his hit list, but he does not take us on showing up in this man in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork that is just obvious as, as anything. Oh, this must be the devil fighting me. He never comes like that. He comes in your next crisis, in your next disappointment, in your next loss. He attacks your health. You lose your job. You get overwhelmed with a bill you weren't expecting. The sheriff delivers a lawsuit to your door. Something happens to get your focus on your problem. And that's not an accident. You have a worldview that encompasses this. You understand. Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. What was he talking about? Well, okay, when I'm on the mission field and I'm sharing Jesus Christ with, with all of those people in Bolivia, I'm fighting the battle. But what about here at home when you're sharing Jesus Christ with your neighbor? What about here at home when you're trying to carry Jesus Christ into your workplace? Not everybody can go to Bolivia, but everybody is an ambassador for Christ. How does the enemy get you sidetracked, derailed, preoccupied, otherwise focused? Can we see the hidden agenda? It is appropriate to pray for one another. We look at the book of Acts and we say, oh, persecution is what God used to disperse the church. All, all, all the, you know, Samaria, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. He uses persecution. Yes, he does. But how does Paul tell us to pray in 1 Timothy chapter 2? I urge you to pray for kings and, and princes and all who are in authority and powers that you can have peace so that without hindrance you can advance the cause of Jesus Christ. So how do those two go together? God will use either one of them. But Paul says, if you have a choice, ask for peace. So that you can advance the cause of Christ without hindrance. Pray for peace. Okay. I can do that. Do you realize we have a great privilege in this country of speaking freely? about Jesus Christ that we may not have much longer. 
Do you know how close we are in the spiritual realm to losing the freedom to clearly speak the message of Jesus Christ? Do you know how close we are to me risking arrest if I stand in front of this church some Sunday in the future and tell you that homosexuality is a deviation from the plan and purpose of God and sin that must be repented of because it is a wickedness and rebellion. Do you know how close I am to being arrested for that? We have a privilege. We have a privilege in this moment that may not last a lot longer to share the message of Jesus Christ. Pray for peace and for government authorities that you will have freedom to do this. It brings us into direct confrontation with the powers of darkness in our effort to wrestle from their grip the blinded hearts of men and women lost in sin. Intercessory prayer and warfare prayer are not two different kinds of praying. They're always the same. When you are interceding with God on behalf of another person who needs Jesus, it is a battle. It is always a battle. Because the enemy wants to keep them blinded. It is a work of a covenant-keeping God that can only be done through men and women who agree to allow him to do his will on earth just as it is done in heaven by asking for his will on this planet and being conduits of his grace. Listen, God has an incredible plan. God has an incredible plan. And, and you know, sometimes when you read the statistics, it's just it's too easy to extrapolate the math, and it doesn't account for the whole problem. But I read recently that if we could just bring one person to Christ, if just one out of six of us could bring one person to Christ every year, just one out of six of us, that within, I don't know what it was, 10 or 15 years, the entire world would be evangelized. Okay, that's math. And the problem is far more difficult than that. And we know from Scripture that the whole world is not going to suddenly get saved and bring utopia to earth. We know that's not going to happen. Most of the time, we're losing ground. We're not even holding steady. Do we understand that God's plan is not that we only, that we put $10 in the mission, in the offering for missions, and send somebody we've never met who graduated from some seminary somewhere to some foreign country to try to learn a language and begin to preach in a culture and a language that isn't their own. And, and, and okay, that's, I'm winning the world for Christ. That, that's part of it. But God is bringing people in front of you every day. And one thing is true of every person you meet. They either know Jesus or they don't. And the battle is right there 
Your power is prayer. Your weapon is love. That as you ask the Father and demonstrate, allow the Holy Spirit living through you to show them the life of Jesus, some of them, some of them, in whom the Holy Spirit of God is at work, will see the light. And you have the influencing ability to pray for them and touch their heart with God while you touch their life with the Spirit of Jesus in you through your love. And who knows, Angelo, that they will come to Christ. They will come to Christ. And what for us can be difficult seasons of life, God can transform into a glorious opportunity to inflict damage on the enemy camp by rescuing souls for Jesus Christ. Do you have that perspective? That is a worldview that we are to have. We are ambassadors ministers of reconciliation. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the truth this morning, that you would impress upon us the privilege, the opportunity, the mission, and the calling that we have, that we would become mighty in prayer and reconcilers ambassadors bringing men and women to faith in Christ. We ask it in His precious name. Amen.